when you were in your previous form, we had a chat about pub quizzes. Because mm -hmm. I, I do a pub quiz, and whenever a tech question comes up, the, everybody the, looks at you, right? Everyone looks at me, and I get it wrong. And that happened again. I think I remember this was a story where you actually knew or didn't know what JPEG meant? Uh, yes, what it stood for, uh, and PDF as well. Yeah, yeah, that was previously on two or three. But in today's episode, here's the question that came up. Are you ready? I, I am All right. scared. All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, making, just looking around to make sure the answer is not in view. In Excellent. this nice restaurant that we are sitting in? Yes, exactly. Well, it might be. Are you ready? <coughs> All right. OK. Da, 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 da. Next question coming up. Here it is. What color is the G in the Google logo? Blue. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Bam! What? I, uh, I nope. didn't know. You know why? I, I feel like, you know, when you ever you see the G in isolation, I feel like an Android app has the G in isolation as a logo, and that always is blue. No, Android has the G in a variety of different colors, doesn't it? Oh, that's it's got the boot the up core. thingy. I feel, like, oh, I feel like the Google search app that you get by default on your phone has, has like, that. or used to have, the lowercase blue G. So here's the problem I've got, right? I actually do. I've I think I've got a good memory. I think I've got a good like, photographic memory, like mm -hmm. a good image-based photo photographic memory. But I also have a photographic imagination, meaning the photographic memory is useless. <laughs> because when You can't distinguish. Well, when that question came up, I was like, I could imagine oh, everything. <laughs> yes, I could see the Google logo in every combination of the blue, the yellow, the red, the green, or whatever colors it is. <laughs> and, and I was just like, yeah, I was so yeah. certain about one, and then I imagined what it did in you a say? way. Oh, I don't know. He like red. I think I said red, and I can, imma I can imagine. I can imagine it mate. right now. That's wrong. I I even have blue written down here, so <laughs> I remember. Because <laughs> I will just imagine it as no. Right. Okay. Fine. Jake loses again. So, have you listened back to our previous episode? Yes. Did you notice that it was essentially me bragging about all the places I'd been and you saying, oh, I was ill somewhere, but I have healthcare, so everything was basically fine? It was, the old, it was a very white podcast. It was very privileged, wasn't it? So yeah. in contrast, I've not really done a lot since the previous episode. <laughs> so well, we might have to cut this one short. I, well, I went on vacation. OK. So oh, OK. <laughs> it was my turn now. And you got ill. Uh, and, but it's fine. They I brought did, you no, back to life because of healthcare. Not this time. This time, I, I legit just went on vacation. Oh, well done. And tried to like, you know, do the whole work-life balance thing. OK. And just like, you know, I put my, so I took my iPad with me and my okay. work phone. And good. My, no, that's a good start to work-life balance. I Listen, went on holiday I only with have my one, work phone. I only have one phone. And that's my work okay. phone. OK. But so to enforce the work-life balance thing, the phone lived in the safe. In the safe. Yes. And, that's a, and that's, of course, a Faraday cage. Maybe. <laughs> no, but it keeps you me. put it in the microwave, mate. That's <laughs> it keeps me out. That's the point. I could have put it in the fridge, maybe. I, so, um, sorry, I'm tangenting already. Um, when I was first working on offline stuff, uh, back when I was working at Lanyard, um, some devices were behaving differently when they were genuinely offline versus Wi-Fi. Versus like being in airplane mode. Well, oh. no, that was genuinely offline, like no connection, even that. Interesting. Um, so I, uh, the way I dealt with this is by using the office microwave and trying to find like, because you, you can't have the door too open because it lets the signal in. But uh, the microwave is a Faraday cage. So it was kind of like I set up a little phone stand in the microwave, like try to press the stuff and then throw it into the microwave so I could still see the screen. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. Did any phones get accidentally microwaved? Microwave. Thankfully not. Because uh, I am dangerous. Well, I abandoned the practice and just took all the test devices um, just to the local underground station because you're offline there. <laughs> um, and then I was testing stuff, and I kind of looked up to see a couple of police officers standing in front of me. And <laughs> With I saw three phones going like ah. Yes, I looked. So I looked at them, and I and they sort of pointed behind me. And I turned around, and I was standing right next to a poster that says, "If you see anything suspicious on the underground." And the iconography they'd used is someone with a series of phones. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, see oh, it, say it, sort of. Testing app cache? <laughs> no, never mind. I'll just leave, shall I? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I can just imagine you from the office in your slippers walking down to the tube station, <laughs> ideally in a bathrobe. Yeah. Still not working. Walking back up. It was a perfect way to test it. It's genuine offline. Uh, anyway, so you were on holiday, and you, your, your work-life balance is so good that you yeah. have one phone that you call the work phone. <laughs> Excellent. Carry on. It's just I feel I've not been very good at the work-life balance mm. in my past vacations. It's I had my phone. It has all my private accounts, but also my work accounts on it. So work chat yeah. is on there. Um, work email is on there as well. And so you have this whole, you're browsing things, might as well check into work email. And then you read something. You think, oh, I should react, even though you're on vacation. And just It keeps yes. you engaged in a way that it really shouldn't. And I find that even if I'm uh, you know, not deliberately going to my phone to check work stuff, I'll you end up doing it. Right? Well, be out and about, and I'll go, oh, I don't know how to get to a place, so I'll use you know, maps. Mm. And so I pull out my phone, and while I'm there, I see a tweet, and I see the start of it like saying, you know, this article is stupid, and, and I'm like, <laughs> and even <laughs> if I try and read. Not, yes, because <laughs> if I don't respond then, then in my mind, it's just going to be like, well, what article are they talking about? What have I got wrong? Is it genuinely wrong, or are they wrong? And, you know, that's that whole XKCD, someone is wrong on the internet, and it might be me, it might be them, but we, I need to find <laughs> out who. Someone's wrong on the internet. Yeah. The thing, I feel like, for some reason, you feel you have this obligation to respond to people quickly. Yeah. If it's a person you don't know on Twitter, and they're, like, you know, insulting you for the stupid article you wrote, there is no obligation for you to respond within 10 minutes of him authoring that tweet. Yes. You can do it two or three days later. I was going to uh, bring you up there on like saying him, it might not be, but it is usually a him. Come on, people <laughs> who are telling you wrong, that you're people wrong who are dicks on Twitter are usually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. So that was basically a conscious choice on, on my end to say that's a him. Uh, so, so did it work your plan? It worked pretty well. So I have to admit, on my iPad I still have Twitter, so I still r- followed right. the whole smoosh um, discussion oh. and all the yelling, but more reading, not participating. I forced myself to not participate and just enjoy some of the really stupid arguments that were brought up in these discussions and oh. how my, like Matthias, one of our colleagues, who tried really hard to engage with people and convince them that there's like there's a rationale behind this and we're really trying to take this on and make the web better without breaking it and here's why we can't break it and explain everything and it went not well. He yeah. Well, the smoosh, uh, okay. I have. Oh, some... are we talking smoosh now? Well, look, you can't do that. You can't say, uh, here's my opinions about smoosh and everyone's stupid and blah, 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 blah. And when no, I, say, I didn't say when that. I try and bring some reason into it, you're like, oh, oh, you want to talk about it, do you? <laughs> I didn't say it was stupid. I just said that's what I, I followed the things right. with some stupid arguments. Let's be honest, there were people there some, with yes. stupid opinions. Uh, and no, let's talk smoosh. Okay, let's talk smoosh, and we'll get back to your holiday. We'll we'll keep. I'm I've got, I've got a pencil here. Let's keep let's keep track. So, so are we going to do like a call no, stack? Yeah, holiday. <laughs> okay. We should publish let's the call stack as our um, description and for the episode. Smoosh, and yes, and, and we'll 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 pop the stack and make sure we come back to Sam's holiday. Excellent. My handwriting went really bad there. Um, <laughs> you know, have you seen the? Uh, so okay, I'm going to add. Guy Fawkes onto the stack. <laughs> <laughs> November fifth is a while away, mate. Uh, so, did you did you ever say the you know the comparison of his um, signature before and after torture? No, I've not heard about this. So this is part of the thing because obviously he was you know caught and tortured yeah. for like you know all the information about wanting to blow up people, wanting to blow up people, oh. um, and and yeah, his his first signature is sort of quite you know ornate like yeah. signatures were back then, um, and then his post. Uh, torture signature was not. It, it's kind of it's kind of harrowing to kind of think mm. of like what must have happened to a person to to, yeah. to make that happen. But my handwriting is Guy Fawkes post torture <laughs> signature by default. I mean, so, just what I'm saying. You don't have to. I've never me. seen you there. two on a picture. <laughs> Maybe you're just keeping a very dark secret from us all. Well, the Guy Fawkes mask and my skin color are roughly are pretty the, much the same. Roughly the same. If yeah. you would have the mustache, it's like. Uncanny. Yeah, or the scream mask, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, pop it off the stack. Let me. All right, Guy Fox is off the stack. Smoosh. Smoosh. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I I have some sympathy for even the people making some kind of dubious arguments because when I saw the thread, the GitHub thread about Smoosh, 
it was not clear to me that it was a joke. Yes, I agree. I, okay. I think that was retrofitted. You think it was? You, oh, you've got a conspiracy theory then. I, I think it was more like, we need to fix this. Here is a proposal that that person was okay. serious about. But then people said, that name is stupid. Let's change it. And but like, at that point, hey guys, I'm just joking. Just joking. It's fine. You know? I'm just trolling. <laughs> but at that point, the whole, you know, the whole ravine already rolled off, and the avalanche happened. I had thought the same. I'm assured that it was always a joke. But I, uh, yeah. But either way, there was like a, a Twitter poll done by someone in TC39 yeah. of like, what should we do here? Should we break the web? Uh, should we call it smoosh? Or shall we change like? The, how the, our implementation works to match Mutools. Yep. We, I guess we should describe what actually happened. Yeah, it might, might actually not be clear to everyone that they just know Smoochgate and actually don't know what's behind this. So, Mutools. Yes. Pop well, it on the stack. Uh, oh, yes, OK. <laughs> uh, Mutools. Uh, yeah, I've wrote Mutools. <laughs> it's OK, though. So, Mutools is one of the, the ancient JavaScript libraries which modified the prototype chain. And they had things like array tooling and probably lots of other things as well. Is yep. it like pre-jQuery? Uh, yes, oh. I would say. Or it, it certainly. Same era, at least, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was very similar to prototype, which was definitely pre-jQuery. Mm -hmm. um, so they were modifying, were adding things to array, yeah. and object, to loads of stuff. So in now, I thought, so we had array.flatten is the proposal that uh, TC39 made, and it's like a stage three. Mm -hmm. And uh, we spoke about it a couple of episodes Did ago. We? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, flatten, flatten and flat map. And flat map. Flat map. Yes. Um, I think it was in one of the Christmas ones. But the problem is, is Mutools also had array.flatten. Mm -hmm. Now, at first, I thought the problem was that you know they were doing if not array.prototype.flatten, and then they'll add their own. Which I think they are doing. They're only no. This is the thing. And because I because I went into the the, the Mutools code uh, the Mutools code and they are overwriting that method, no matter what. But then where's the problem? Because this is the thing. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. If if you, well if you must override yeah, a prototype. It, if there isn't a spec to follow, then yeah you have you to do always it unconditionally. Override it. Yes, because otherwise in the future something else comes along with a different behavior and has taken taken over your namespace. I was under the impression that it conditionally. No. The real huh. problem is is even more interesting than that. Hmm. And it's not nothing to do with code that calls array.flatten. Ooh. Ooh. If this is where we would cut for the next episode if we wanted Ooh. to retain more viewers. Cue the X-Files uh, theme. Yes. <laughs> tune in next week to find out what it's actually on. So they also had this um, element-like object, a bit like jQuery has. Uh, well, it's called elements. To define a collection mm -hmm. of elements. Is that the thing, same thing that underscore does, where you say like underscore parentheses and it wraps an entire array? So it could very well okay. be like that. I mean, this is certainly what jQuery does. Okay. Right? Um, or oh, the jQuery elements that you usually designate with the Which is sort of, sort of inheriting from array, yeah. sort of, kind of. Yeah. Or it's got the, it's array-like. Mm -hmm. um, and what they had a bit of code that you know to save time, they thought, well, this elements thing, it's kind of we want it to be behave a lot like an array. Mm -hmm. So let's do a um, a for in loop of all the stuff we've added onto the array prototype. OK. OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you do array.prototype.foo and set that to a function or something, mm -hmm. that becomes enumerable. If you do a for in loop, that is that key is going to appear. OK. Yeah. Oh. But if you do array.prototype.sort and set that to a different function, it remains not enumerable because, because sort. the property is already defined as an non-enumerable property. Exactly. Interesting. And that's what happened: is by shipping array.flatten, it became non-enumerable. So their added method was no longer showing up in this for-in loop. So it was oh. no longer being added to their elements object. And so those people who are using the wrapped element couldn't call flatten anymore. Couldn't call flat Despite anymore. unconditionally overriding the prototype. Exactly. So that's interesting. So TC39 wanted to ship flatten. It would have removed the function from the people relying on Mutools. Yes. That is very unintuitive. Interesting. 
And, and it, that was a surprise to me, that it yeah. would remain non-enumerable. Really? Because if the property exists, you're just defining, you're assigning a new value. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. I suppose it does make sense. But it, when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, OK. Mm-hmm. Yes, that does make sense. Popping Mutools off the stack. We're back onto Smoosh now. OK, so that's why the first intuition was to not ship TC39's flatten as flatten, but under a different name to just avoid the whole clash. Right. So. And, and this is why I think the poll was misleading, because one of the options was, we'll just change our method to behave like the MooTools one. But that wouldn't like, have solved anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because they were already unconditionally overwriting it. And that's yeah. why I think that, oh, I have some sympathy for people who were confused by it, because I was confused by it. That was very confusing three, four days. I mean, technically, it's still going, I think. At the time of recording, there's still people going like, mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the options was to rename the, the flattened method to something. That, like, let's say, smoosh. Like, smoosh. And smoosh <laughs> was the joke one. But there was a PR for it. So yeah. that's, is that a joke? I don't know. I think that's, I, I think that was an in-joke that sort of leaked out. Maybe. Um, but, Turns out GitHub is not private. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's not a place for in-jokes. And, and so pe- people were kind of angry at this ridiculous method name. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I think a name that hasn't shipped yet it was an unreasonable amount of anger. I think some people felt it was a done deal, and it's not. It's yeah, still no. in absolutely OK. Maybe that's where the confusion came, was the most drastic to feel. Well, when there's a PR to actually change the method name, it's reasonable to think that it's well, got it's a, a PR, little bit. Well, it's a PR. It's not merged. When it wasn't merged, I would be like, right. Right? That's fair enough. But um, so yeah, so the, so the options really are rename it or yeah. break the web. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of sites in the top 1,000 sites that are using MooTools. Whether they're using elements.flatten, we don't have the data for that yet. I think what I wish to say it's like 1.8% of something. Well, that was using MooTools. Yeah. So we don't know that they're using the no, Of course, but well. at least you can see that MooTools, despite its age, or, or however you want to look at it, it right. is still fairly on fairly many page loads. Yes, exactly. So, so it's a big risk. And we, we have seen big sites break. Well, Firefox saw big yeah. sites break in their nightly with flat and shipped. Yeah. So yeah, it's it kind of and I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Mootools is stupid for doing that. Um, and then some people are jumping to Mootools defense going, well, we didn't know back then. And that's a lie. Because yeah, we did. Because <laughs> I was writing JavaScript libraries back then. And a lot of us who were writing libraries which didn't touch the prototype were shouting at the libraries that were going, this is going to become a problem. <laughs> Really the soon. The profit. Yeah. <laughs> but but it was, I mean, we saw it happen with um, Prototype. They had get elements by class name. Uh, and that be, that clashed with a real method yep. um, eventually. So we knew this was a problem. Um, so yeah, I, I think. It's the same with why array has contains and class list has includes. And like the contains, yep. includes, and has, or something, These the triple of these functions completely inconsistent because of other libraries hogging that name in the past. Yes, so we have string contains rather than string includes. And it is for exactly the same reason yeah. as smoosh, as the flatten. Like, yeah. it, it's the same bit of code in Mootools causing oh, this problem. Oh, Mootools. I didn't know that. Yes, it's the for in loop. So, I, so Mootools is wrong, A, for messing around with prototypes. But B, the biggest, the, the, the way they are completely unsubjectively wrong is that for in loop is not doing what they think it does. Because it's it's not catering for the idea that methods will come in later and change the enumerability mm. of properties. So, but uh, if we, I, we can't punish Mootools for this. Because if you break the web, you're not punishing Mootools. You're punishing the users of yeah. sites. I think, I, so I had this idea, and I would like to call it um, quirks mode. Right. <laughs> oh. So okay. So what would your new trigger be for the? If you include mood holds, <laughs> you are in quirks mode. So that has been considered, and that is really? still on the table to some degree. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, because we've done it before, like document.all. Document.all is a thing mm-hmm. that works, but if document.all returns false, it 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 doesn't. Yeah, you know, this is, yeah. Document.all inside an if statement will be falsy. Interesting. Even though it's an object with properties. Ah. And because and this was because a lot of code would branch on that. 
uh, document. As a detection kind of thing. Yeah, and, and this is the part where my memory's fading a little bit. That I think it, people were using it as a branch for IE. Oh, OK, yeah. Could, could um, or, or not. I can't remember. <laughs> the, it, it, it was used as a big assumption of the browser, which mm -hmm. was no longer true. So in order for the browser to support document.all for sites that were still using it, but didn't want to be part of those if statements, that's why that was introduced. So it is possible that we introduce some kind of similar hacks. Somehow. Oh, boy. Yeah, that if you overwrite array.prototype.flat and it becomes enumerable, it's a horrible hack. But it, and it's, it's, that would be really silly. But, but It if, would break less sites than the other way around. Yes, but it just means that when you teach JavaScript to someone, you have to go, oh, by the way, if you overwrite a property, it remains its enumerability, like the web except is, for The web is like of. French at this point. You have rules, but you have more exceptions to the rules than you have <laughs> rules. Right. I, and, and so maybe it's adding a new one is not bad. But the alternative is we just come up with a name, a new name that's, yeah. not, that's not a silly smoosh. That's not flat, not smoosh. Exactly. We were talking about your holiday yes. and your work-life balance. Yes. I, feel, I think this topic is just interesting because every now and then I see tweets about people who are like having the time to work on software, web development, whatever, in your spare time yeah. is a matter of privilege. And then I see other people tweeting, oh, it's the weekend. What should I do? Vote on this Twitter poll if I should learn React or if I should learn. Yeah. And like, this is probably not healthy. If I, can, I, I know for myself that sometimes and I have the massive privilege that my hobby is also my job or has become my job. Right. So if you do your hobby at a weekend, you are doing your job. In a way, so, yes. Yeah. But also the other way around, if I'm working, I'm kind of doing my hobby. And I feel that this absolutely should not be an expectation for anyone. No. No. And I don't think it is, but it's become I culturally think in normal. In, this, in the startup developers. scene, I feel like you're expected to have, or some companies, Look at your GitHub profile. If you have not a consistently green contribution bar, meaning you have con committed something on every day of the week, mm. you will have less chance of being out than somebody who does do that. So I, uh, whenever I interview somewhere, which has been a while, but I, you know that bit where they say, "Do you have any questions for me?" Yeah. Is, uh, you know, every interview someone asks that. The question I ask them is, um, you know, your employees, your uh, your developers, they're working late or a weekend because mm. of a deadline. Yeah. Uh, do you see that as just something that happens? Mm -hmm. Or is it a failure in planning? OK. Because it has to really be one of those two things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the answer I'm not looking for is it's just, it's just what we do. Yeah, um, that shouldn't be the answer. I, think, I right. think it can be that's something that happens because it is incredibly hard to do planning but then there must be the second thing that says, you will get that time back. Right, OK, that's, that's fair. If it, yeah, saying it just happens and it's expected to deal with it, that's, that's the wrong answer. Mm. The correct answer is, yeah, you know, it was a failure in the planning, but it couldn't have been predicted. But here's how we deal with it. Yeah. As you say, you get the time back is, is really the ideal answer. Yeah. The other wrong answer, or probably the worst answer, is that doesn't happen. Because, <laughs> because that means that manager is unaware of it happening. Or lying. And yeah. both are not good qualities in a manager. Exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, and I felt like um, it's somewhat ironic because I was on vacation with you know, browsing Twitter, and I saw these tweets. It's the weekend. What should I do? And I was like, the, my first reaction was, oh, I'm just playing literally stupid games on my iPad. Maybe I should be working on a side project, use the time to expand my horizon. Right. And I had to convince myself that it is OK to what might be perceived as wasting time. But yeah. I have noticed that. Doing, following your gut and just allowing you to be lazy if that's what you feel like, it is so refreshing. It is such an energy boost. But we're, we are definitely saying this from a point of view of a company which does do it right. Yeah. Like, a lot of people are working weekends because their job depends on it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. working longer hours is, is not, does not scale. No. But that will bite you yeah. if you do it for too long. So, so what's your answer then, Sermo? Like, if someone's working, <laughs> that's someone's a nice way of putting you on the spot. Are you I, saying, oh, you've got, they've got to change job, right? That's <laughs> that's. So I've seen this argument before, and it makes me angry. Like people are like, mm. oh, if you have to, well, if you have to support IE eleven, I would switch jobs. And I was like, not oh. everybody has to just change a job, right? Absolutely. Like I know that in our line of work, specifically web developers, there's a massive demand. So mm. you usually can say, I'm just going to leave company A 
and I'll be pretty confident to find another job somewhere else. Yeah. Usually in web development, that will work because the demand is so big. But if you are not necessarily in that spot, yeah. it can get a lot harder. Or if you don't have enough experience to get all these jobs going that want eight years of experience with React, even though it's been only been out for five. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people doing sort of development work up north, because uh, that's where I'm from, north of England. And yeah, Are you? I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> the accent's still there, unfortunately. A lot of people think I'm Scottish. Or think I'm Scottish, but lived outside of Scotland for a long time, and and a lot of time it's Scottish people who think that, and I don't. It's not. It's not I mean, me. you're asking the wrong person. I'm. I've just mm. starting to learn to distinguish all the accents in England, oh. but I wouldn't say you're Scottish. No, I mean that is also the correct answer. You're good at quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, but people up north, like it, it's. You know, there's not as many jobs as there are in London, so that sort of attitude of yeah. like, who oh, just change a job if you don't like it? It's, yeah, it comes across as incredibly privileged, snobby, and yeah. I think, as always, it requires a shift in in paradigms in the entire field of work, and that's not easy to do. But it's just something that you, as a person, should be aware of that what you're doing right now is not scalable, and that you need to take time for yourself if yeah. you have been working the last three weekends or something, because as you said, it doesn't scale. It will. Well, eventually you hit 24 hours, and then you can't work a 25th hour. And at some point, you it die. More crunch. <laughs> I mean, that went dark. It's and not, then the heat that of the universe. <laughs> well, it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just, just is that your advice? Just work less? Just, yeah, just work less. No, I, I think it's just like if you need to fight for your right. To party. <laughs> to... Not work if you're not on work hours. It's, if, it's if you leave difficult. the job, it must be OK. And, and I mean, I don't know if any managers listen to this, but like. Hi, Paul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, our manager doesn't listen to this. He hates it. Um, but they, people who are working more sensible hours tend to get the same amount of work done. Yeah. I mean, it's that same problem. I, I had it last week. I was working on a piece of code, and I was just hitting my head against it for like two hours. Mm. And I, I did the thing where I just I eventually walked away, yeah. and just took half an hour to just. I left the office. I just walked around the block a couple of times. <laughs> I came back to my desk and I solved it in five minutes. That's ah, I love that. I love this. I'm, I mean, I hate it because it's frustrating. Yeah. But I've experienced so often where it's like, just take a break. Yeah. Just but, but taking a break while there's a code problem there yeah. is near impossible. Yeah. I because. I, you feel like you have this entire thing, construct, build up in your end, and it will, it will just vanish if you leave, and you have to start over. But that's usually not what happens, because the construct is usually what is wrong. Well, the, the problem I have, and I think I might have spoken about it on, on the show. Can we call it a show? Let's call it a show. Uh, I spoke about it on the show before, is that having, uh, if I leave a code problem and then sort of go into a social environment, yeah. which could just be like you know, having dinner with my partner or being out with friends, yeah. there is still 80% of my brain trying to solve the problem. But now I don't even have a code editor. So <laughs> I'm hitting my head against the problem even worse than I was at my desk. So the, the, the break I took was just a, you know on my own. Didn't have to socialize. I was still sort of roughly thinking about the problem, but also yeah, listening to Fresh oxygen and just you know getting distracted every now and then. And came back and went, oh, yeah, there's the order. Oh, it works. <laughs> so yes. What was the semicolon? The <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, non-overworked people are bad coders. but. I don't know the answer if, if you're in a situation where you can't avoid it. No, I, I'm not saying I have the answer. It's just something I thought about on vacation. I was like, I'm trying to get better with this because I have a job where I can. But it should it should be a high priority for more people. So I, in the last episode, we, we spoke a lot about like needing views and, and stuff. And I think there was a subtext there that it was employee review time for us. Yeah. And it's done now. Yeah. So I don't actually care. No. Just no. unsubscribe. We don't care. Yeah. We don't need you. <laughs> Please stay. Yeah, please don't go. <laughs> please. <laughs> yes, please keep clicking. Please keep listening. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm so glad that's done. Feels, so, yeah. what are you working on? What are you doing? Uh, what am I work? What am I working on? Um, oh yeah, I've been w looking at range requests again. Oh no. Which I, I, it's. We we're talking about popping the stack and stuff, and I, that's something that I've, has been buried on my to-do list. I'm getting getting back to it. It's just a thing where you just ignore the stack and just rip something out from the very bottom and put them on top because I, you're bored. Well, yes. I kind of got back to it because I'd been thinking about it. Um, well, unfortunately, when I was on leave, <laughs> it popped back into my head. And I was, uh, so I thought, oh, yeah, I want to do something with that. Um, but yeah, it was just, 
it's one of those cases where every browser is doing it wrong to some degree. <laughs> um, the worst case I see with this Stop. is. Stop. What are range requests? What are range requests? Good question. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, when you are playing, say, a media element or something, the browser can it's go. It's a weird instrumental play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, basically how DJing works, <laughs> says he who has no interest in DJing. You just, you just put a tape on, don't you? Yeah, that's it. Play. And Spotify playlist, done. And you, you sort of just move your hands around as if something's <laughs> happening behind the shelf there. That's totally how it works. And yeah, exactly. Um, but the browser can go to the server. I want that thing that you have. Or mm -hmm. maybe that's have a get request. We all know that one. With yeah. a header that says, but from this byte to this byte. Oh, so you, so you just get it. Like, Whatever you want, you can download the first megabyte, even though it's eight gigabytes big, or something yes. on the middle. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this is useful for media playback, because if yep. you scrub into the middle, uh, or if it knows uh, certain kinds of media files have their metadata at the end. Mm -hmm. so, I can jump to the end first. So you can get that little bit at the end, which means it can start playing from the start, because uh, without mm -hmm. that bit of metadata, it doesn't yeah, know what like it needs to know. Encoding, RAID, whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, another example is downloads. So if you pause a download, or you lose connectivity, yeah. it wants to resume that download, it can, using a range request. One bug I found with downloads is you're downloading a file, uh, and then you stop the download or break mm. it, like you go offline. Yeah. The file on the server changes. Like they update it, like ah, a, okay. a new mm. version of the software, mm -hmm. a, a new version of the MP3 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then the browser you know, comes back online and says, hey, can I have that from, you know, 500 bytes in or yeah. more than that? Like, can I have it from uh, 500k in? And the server's like, yes, here you go. And here's the e-tag, and here's the last modified date, okay. uh, and here's the content length, and all of which have changed. Okay. Um, the browsers are just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just start adding it to the file that's already on disk. Ooh. Which that, that seems, yeah, corrupt yeah. the data. Right. You know, um, yeah, at best. Really, if you're downloading a bash script or something, unexpected bad things could happen. I mean, you, yeah, will you have a 500k bash script? I don't know. I used to have those because I would encode, like, you know, these are, I wrote my own self extracting bash files, which basically would contain an entire zip file in base 64. <laughs> nice. So you wouldn't download two files, just one. Very good. <laughs> yes. Oh, so I'm a smart. Excellent. <laughs> But yeah, but that, that could if you changed it halfway through, well, in that case, with the encoding, you're likely to just get a corrupt file. So yeah. that's good. But if it's text and it changes halfway through, it could end up running the same command twice, uh, making up new commands that you've not got in there at all. Yeah. yeah uh, I, and I, I should say, actually, Firefox is the, the one browser which does get this right. Interesting. Um, they, they kind of cancel the download. They've seen that something's changed, and it, and it just breaks. Um, have you opened bugs? I have opened bugs, yes. But it's it's the difficult part is going to be writing the spec. Um, is kind of figuring out when it's OK to merge two different files together. But isn't that what e-tags are for? Because there's e-tags and there's weak e-tags. And e-tags mean you are allowed to uh, use range requests. And, yes. and with weak e-tags, you're not. So I feel like they should solve yeah. this. The download case is probably easiest. The media case is harder, because CDNs will legitimately redirect to other resources, mm -hmm. sometimes another server. Yeah, but um, it's still the same file with the same e-tag, right? Um, I suppose it it could be. I, that's one that's one thing that we'd maybe need to check out, like mm. uh, whether there'll be a way of doing adaptive streaming in some way. Mm. Uh, it, probably not. I think you're probably right. I think e-tag is a safe way of doing it. But yeah. the but even with the e-tags the same, the spec needs to be written in a way that says. You know, when two files are safe to join together and when two files are not safe to join together. Uh, by okay. files, I mean resources. Um, because you don't want two resources from other origins to be joined together, because that might leak things hmm. that you don't want to leak. I wouldn't have thought that this is a spec problem. I thought it would just be an implementation problem. Interesting. Well, no, because this, well, the spec currently doesn't say even how range requests, well, it doesn't say that they can be made. Um, OK. And, and, but yeah, an implementation really has to say, if you get, you know, well, for instance, what happens if you get a range back, but it's not the range you asked for? In what cases? Which is, can happen. Can happen. Which cases should the browser just be cool with that? In which cases should the browser reject? And this hmm. is another case where all the browsers do something different. I feel like about um, blank place to this somehow as well. It, uh, it doesn't, thankfully. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with about blank. But yeah, he I, said. 
As, <laughs> as I said, there's no big answers there. It's just something that you know, need to go and. It's interesting because I feel like um, the fact that these behaviors are implemented this way currently means it's a feature that is not used a lot by sites that don't rely on the browser stitching together downloads with multiple range requests. Because otherwise, this would have been found much earlier, right? Um, no, I mean, this is uh, every browser does downloads that will resume. So this is a problem. I, I think people are just, the problem is it's really difficult to debug to say, oh, my download got corrupted. If you, yeah. if you go onto a, a browser bug list and say, my download failed, I mean, most people will just retry. They're not going to file a bug. Yeah. And if a browser vendor gets a, a bug report saying, my download failed, they'll be like, well, maybe you just weren't connected, or maybe you hit a yeah. captive portal. or It could be <laughs> any one of 100 things. Oh, god, captive portals. Yeah, oh, yeah a, a case where the underlying resource has changed is yeah. such a difficult bug to track yeah, down. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we were just talking before mm -hmm. we started filming, and you have come up with a great name for our two-minute chat. Yeah, because we, we started, for some reason, we started writing down our topics like yep. a call stack. Yep. And we finally get to the point where we finished everything. We went back to the bottom, finished it up. Our stack is now empty. It's time for microtasks. It's time for microtasks. And if we had a jingle and like a kind of animated intro, to... that's where it would. That's, yeah. This is where it would play right now. <sighs> but we don't have one, so it's tough. <laughs> Low um, budget. So you're going to talk about something in a space of two minutes. Here you go. What is Screen it? Screen readers. Yes, they. S Yes. Yes. So they, I, yes. I, I'm going to see how much of your two minutes I can waste. <laughs> Mr. Yes, Singh, yes. yes. They, yes. Both, most phones, Android and iOS, have them. Yes. Pre-installed. Very well done, actually. Mm. And I want to urge everyone to just open them up. They're called TalkBack on Android yep. and VoiceOver on iOS. Right. So just do the tutorial. It takes five minutes. So you know how it works. You can even, like I did now, have a shortcut to, re to enable and disable it very quickly. And try it for just five, 10 minutes. Try to use your phone this way. So when, when touchscreen devices first came out, like one of the things that like, I, I remember mocking uh, big touchscreen devices. Uh, and one of the reasons was I, I thought, well, my Nokia, with its buttons, like I can sort of use it without yeah. looking. And therefore, it must be more accessible as well. <laughs> but in reality, it's not true. Like, these screen readers are brilliant, right? They're really, really good. It's actually really impressive. So you just need a couple of gestures to get along. But I. It's interesting to, to, to notice how much more time you have to invest to get somewhere. Mm. And that even some of the very established apps are non-trivial to use in this kind of use case. Right. But also, it gives you an appreciation for the apps that actually do put in the effort to build an app that is very accessible. So these screen readers work in the browser as well, do they? they work everywhere. Like yeah. this, if, if it's screen readable on the phone, it's going on the desktop. But also, all the other apps on your phone will work. And it will actually try to announce what you're currently l looking at or using or focusing and what you, how you can interact with it. And for example, I started having my Kindle books read to me oh, nice. because that's how lazy I am. And it, it is actually really good. Like The intonation is enjoyable. But also, I, for example, noticed that my Tinder for bananas is horrible. And so oh. I now feel really bad about it. And I really want to fix it. Um, but yeah, I just want to urge everyone, take a, couple of t take a bit of time, learn it, and it's worth it. It's easier to get to than the one on your laptop. Exactly. That was good timing. That was good. I'm not going to beatbox again. I've still got a, a boring tone there. We need, to, yeah. we need to fix that. Once we get our title card. I mean, now we have a music. proper name. We can get a budget. We can get an intro. We can get cheerleaders. We can everything. Yeah, fireworks. I want um, entrance music like what a wrestler has. <laughs> <laughs> so a heavy rock music, and I walk in and take my like sort of massive gown off, and you know, weighing in at 35 pounds. <laughs> I'm not very heavy. I don't know pounds. Uh, I, I kind of deal yeah, in would, kilograms. Wouldn't that be like 15 kilos? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was just you know, Mr. carrying Mr. Underweight. <laughs> yeah. Carrying a lot of helium balloons I drift in. All right. All right. Microtask number two is for you. What is it? Heading elements. Oh, we're back to that again. Yes. And the accessibility thereof. OK. Keep going. So we, I like that. I like your. Tactic there. I'm not going to ask questions. Just continue, continue, <laughs> human. So um, we had this problem with the, the heading elements not being accessible if you use them inside a section. Because mm -hmm. the idea is, in a section, your h1 becomes an h2. Yes. Or, or makes a contextual heading system. That was the outline algorithm, right? The outline algorithm, absolutely. Um, but it, it, it's not supported by the mm -hmm. accessibility layer in the mm -hmm. browser. It just reads all of those h1s as h1s. Because the tag is h1. 
and also because the outline algorithm is very complicated. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of a mess. Um, Arne van Kestren has been actually looking at a new outline algorithm Ooh. that we can have okay. uh, that fixes this problem. And it's a lot simpler in that I you know, feel confident in explaining it to you in the remaining time. It is H1, mm -hmm. count the number of parent sections. It's that. That seems very reasonable. So basically, yes. if I have a section within a section within a section, then H1, yes. that would be in H4? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, so, so, uh, I, I wasn't, Math. I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, but if you have it inside like an article or any sectioning element, that counts okay. as well. So yes, an, an H1 in a section or an article is, becomes an H2. And the more you nest it, it works. So what should we start only using H1s then if well, we use sections as well? Certainly when the browsers start supporting this is, is the right time, really. Okay. But it, because it's so simple, we might also get a CSS selector to go with it. Oh, that's So cool. like a heading level uh, functiony nice. selector thing where you can pass How like... Much can this potentially break the web? Because is it not a problem because nobody has implemented the Elven algorithm anyway? Uh, yes, it's fine because there are already sites that are built assuming this stuff works, and they are going to get better ah, as a result of this. That's true. Um, and if you're not using sections, yeah. OK, then we should look forward to this. I am. That was very cheesy. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for me. <laughs> Jesus, man, sort out your notifications. Uh, uh, I know. I'm. This is. Oh, you're using the same podcast app. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I fall asleep. I just listen to your voice. My notifications are. Uh, we were talking about work-life balance. That's one way to achieve it. Think, think, just ignore them. Yeah, I do. I do actually ignore my inbox a lot, which is bad, but it also means I get some stuff done. I'm. I'm still but. trying to do the whole inbox zero thing. So I'm crossing that off the list. We've done that. That's good. So now um, it's time for rendering? Well, so um, you've not put that on the list. No, it's because like, we did our tasks. We did the micro tasks. Oh, you're doing, yes. Sorry. I'm not very good at so getting So should we rename the podcast to event loop? No, <laughs> that's why I didn't get the squish thing. I, I have trouble with basic jokes. Um, <laughs> but something you've been looking at recently is Wasm. Yes. Oh, that was fun. That was good. Excellent. Um, so, <laughs> my turn. <laughs> so, um, in we have been looking into writing an app for the web that does image compression. Yes. And we wanted to not only use JPEG, because there's many more formats out there that are potentially useful. Yes. One of them, even though it's not widely supported, is WebP. Yes. And um, there are also formats that are not supported anywhere, like yeah. Flif. Yes. Yeah. But there's also different encoders for the same format. So we don't. The, the point is Mos that JPEG, the turbo. PNG quant and yes. all these things. There's lots of things. So you can encode images in the browser with Canvas. You can yep. download an image, encode it onto Canvas, and then turn it back into a JPEG or PNG. You even have quality options. Mm. It's okay, but sometimes you want to optimize some more. Yes, and we wanted to tap into this whole ecosystem of encoders because even though WebP is not necessarily support in all browsers, with something like a picture element, you can still offer multiple formats and let the browser choose. So for example, WebP is usually the most efficient format, but should only be used by browsers that actually support that format. Yeah. And so the idea was that we would write an app where you drop in your image, and it would figure out the most ideal settings for compression in different formats and give you all of the results back. And you can yeah. just use that in your website, well, you right? you can sort of visually see it as well. You can go like, oh, hang on, this image like at what looks like great quality to me yeah. is smaller in a WebP than it is in a JPEG. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it's it's certainly that the there are a few apps that sort of do that that kind of well, Photoshop, say for web, is yeah. the place I've encountered this before. Uh, but that doesn't do WebP, for example. Um, yeah, for example, and it means that I I see a lot of sites where the place where WebP really wins is where you have a photo but with alpha transparency, yes. right? Because it can do lossy for the photo data, but like PNG. indexed for the yeah. Yeah. For yeah. alpha. Um, and so we thought this would be probably the first time that we have found, or we feel like we have found a really good use case for WebAssembly. Because this whole ecosystem of C libraries exists that are image encoders and decoders. Right, yes. But usually, they're in C, so they're just not for you to use on the web. So you would end up doing it on the server side or some stuff. But how cool would it be if we could manage to get those into the browser? Good, good selling. I like that. <laughs> How cool would it be? 
Once again, find out next, next week. week. <laughs> <laughs> no, it turns out, I think the answer is, it, it is quite cool. It, it is quite cool, yeah. the concept. Oh, that was very... Doing a yes, it is week. very cool. <laughs> um, I have looked at WebTenu like a long time ago, just a little bit. And basically, the guidance has always been use mscripten and get like an 8 megabyte JavaScript file, and that's what you deal with. And that's, for our standards, that's not feasible. Like, if we right. want this to be a demo of what the future of the web look li looks like, 8 megabytes is not good. No. And so I was very skeptical. It's like, OK, I'm just going to do a feasibility study and see how, how much can we optimize, how small can we get these things. And it turns out I have to give a lot of apologies and credit to the mscripten people, because in the meantime, they have put in work. And uh, yeah, and I'd been turned away from mscripten as well from the ASM days. Uh, the same thing. I, I, I kind of like put in simple pieces of code and get out this like multi-megabyte huge script, um, and I, I, I kind of assumed it was probably still bad, uh, which is, I guess is a bad assumption to make. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was just so bad back then that yeah. I thought, well, they're, they're never going to recover from that. But yeah, they have. Yes. It's a really good project. Also, I think like half a year ago, our colleague looked at WebAssembly and said, mscript is not a choice, so I will write my own WebAssembly assembler and whatnot. And mm. so, it, so I slid in my back of my head, it's still not ready. Mm. But mscript has done a great job. They have ported the standard library, standard C library, to mscript and just bundle it in there. They emulate a file system for you. They emulate a network stack for you. Basically, it seems like you can just literally use any C code, throw it at mscript, and, and have a pretty good chance of having it run. There's, I mean, there's some rough edges. Of I, course. And because so, I, I mean, you helped me out getting my head around a couple of, uh, I, I tried the Brotly yeah. uh, project to put that through mscripten. And I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of them down to the fact that I don't know C yeah. or C++. That's um, the thing. I feel like it's not a tool for every developer. And it's yeah. never, never going to be, because you will need C and some low-level memory management understanding and all these things that you just don't have when you just do web development. And you don't need it. Yeah, But, but an idiot like myself, to be able to take a, a C project, not really knowing any C, and get Let it ready the record in the show you did succeed. I did succeed, and I yeah, a, a few pointers in your article which you wrote, which yeah. you know we're we'll, going to we'll link to. We'll link to that. We'll link to that. And uh, but yeah, it it was it, it was amazing to think. Well, now all of these C projects are now it's possible yeah. to, for me to put them in the browser. So a lot of my 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 fear was knowing I've written a lot of C in my old life. Basically, that's like. There's C files, C code that you write specifically to transpile it to Wasm. Hmm. And then there's existing C projects that have like this whole build setup with, with uh, auto config and auto make. But even that has been taken care of by mscript. And so you can literally just call yeah. auto config instead of uh, uh, mconfig and mmake instead yes. of the, the old auto tools files. And they will inject everything that you need and make it work. And so in the end, I ended up being able to transpile mods JPEG and libwebp Lib yeah. to Wasm, and ended up with models that were a reasonable size. I think we were both around 200 kilobytes each. Oh, is it that low in the end? Yes. Um, That's really nice. And it works. Like, I wrote little demos. I threw in an M element, an image, and compressed it to WebP and to JPEG with the lowest quality settings so I can see a different yeah. difference. But it worked, and that blew my mind. Um, and, and it's I pretty fast, right? It yes. Uh, one of the things we, we were going to figure out as part of this project is what the overhead actually is. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting to, to see. And I imagine that's a number that's only going to come down. And right? I think what is important is that it's fast for running. It might not be fast. The, the, the time it takes to invoke a mm. WebAssembly function might be slow. But the time it wasn't runs, that is the bit that's fast. Yeah. So if people, I see a lot of people going like, oh, can we put our web components in WebAssembly? I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, so Wasm falls into that selection of things that are, are going to solve all the problems of the web. That people perceive as the silver bullet. To just It will solve yeah. all performance problems. And I don't think that's the case. And we've definitely spoken about this on the show before, I think, because it. I, I remember when people were talking about Service Worker in the same way. And I, I, I would see, well, I think HTTP2, Service Worker, and Wasm have all yeah. like been, they will solve everything. Yes. And, it's like, no, 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 but they will solve some things. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like it's very important that people realize Wasm is, has, is, is a niche. It yeah. has a small niche where it's super useful. Yes. And you shouldn't be trying to throw in everything. But if you end up in one of these niche use cases, it's going to be amazing. Yes. So I can see gaming as one of the use cases where you have like uh, really yeah. 
tight budget and you just keep the thing, probably your WASM running constantly in a worker. Yep, and mscripten actually has ways to sort of make writing to a canvas from your C yeah. easier. Yeah, you know, mscripten wraps OpenGL and maps mm. it to WebGL, which is amazing. But yeah, you can. these things are already there. Mm. Um, any kind of number crunching utility when you, when you want to process some data, re-encode images or audio or maybe even video, I'm guessing someone will transpile f of mpeg to WASM. I think Paul Kinlan has. Oh, yeah. I think he did it to, to WASM, which I don't know. I almost just don't believe him. I think he's lying. <laughs> no one's checked. No one's <laughs> reviewed his work. But, I, but that, the idea of like, yeah, now the possibility of making like video editing apps on the web has suddenly become uh, you know, a reality. Like, it's, it's something it's we can do. It's much closer to viable than it was before. Yeah, because previously you would have to re-implement all of these encoders in JavaScript yourself and or, or you were using like ASM, which was producing this, these mess, yeah. total mess of files, and yeah, it just feels like a, a lot of the, the native world is just it's just now possible. The, the ecosystem has suddenly been expanded with this huge variety of libraries that were never an option on the web, and now they suddenly are. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see um, mm. what people can come up with. Absolutely, we'll link to your article. Yes, so, please. For seeing more, it's, it's actually a really good article. Well, um, thank you. Uh, oh, I don't need to say that because we've finished the employee reviews. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's genuinely good. I really, I really, really liked it. Uh, as I say, it got me from not knowing anything to achieving something. Which <laughs> that's a very generic. <laughs> that's what I put in your employee review. <laughs> he got me from not knowing something to knowing something. To, to, yeah, to achieving a thing. Oh. Do you think we have babbled on enough? We have. It does feel like we have ba babbled. We've on, babled on long enough. I think it's pronounced. what did we babel to? Um, ES3. Yes. <laughs> well, do you know what the, the, the library is? Babel, right? It's pronounced Babel. I That's the official. It. No, it is, is Babel. Because I'm quite upset about that because it was always like that word was always Babel to me. Yeah. Because of is Hitchhiker's it? Guide to the Galaxy. That's the way. The Babelfish, yeah. Yeah, the Babelfish. Yeah. Well, there you go. I thought it was like an American with this English, British English thing where like the. I think it is. Yeah, or um, Australian Wait, so English as well. Sebastian McKenzie is yeah. Australian, right? Yeah, well, they say data, so I don't trust them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not command on and data, that, is it? On that note, <laughs> we're clearly running out of material. We've uh, moved on to making fun of Australians. So that's <laughs> it's always the, always yeah, healthy. Absolutely, that's the sign that the podcast is over. Right. Well, until next time. Till next time. Bye bye. bye.